In today's episode, we open our Bible to the Gospel of Mark, chapter 1, verse 21 through 2, verse 12. Today we continue with Mark's Gospel, which we began last Friday. Our text for this morning begins with Jesus teaching in a synagogue in Capernaum, where his authoritative and powerful teaching amazes the people. During his sermon, he exercises an unclean spirit from a man, further demonstrating his divine authority. Jesus then heals Simon Peter's mother-in-law, and the news of his miraculous deeds spread rapidly, and the crowds began to form around the house, seeking their own miracles. Good morning and blessed Pentecost. Today is Monday, October 23rd, and you're listening to Thy Strong Word, where each weekday morning we explore the holy scriptures to which God bespeaks us righteous and nourishes our faith. I'm your host, Pastor Phil Boo of St. John Lutheran Church in Laverne, Minnesota. Thy Strong Word is brought to you in part by the Lutheran Heritage Foundation. You can learn more about their translating and publishing work on their website at lhfmissions.org. Did you know that they can also provide mission speakers for your congregation? I recently had the Reverend Robert Ron, founder of LHF, come to my congregation. He preached and he gave a presentation on all the great ways God is working through Bible translation. Check them out at lhfmissions.org. Well, my guest for this morning is returning to the show. It's the Reverend Luke Brown, pastor of Emmanuel Lutheran Church in Ellsworth, Kansas. Good morning, Pastor Brown, and welcome back to Thy Strong Word. Good morning. It's so nice to talk to you again. Uh, in in fact, um, you know, I think the only time we ever catch up is when it's over the radio so far. You know, we went to <laughs> seminary together, and uh, and now, of course, uh, you know, we've lost touch like so many people do, but I'm so glad to have you on the show. It's good to see, good to talk to you. Excellent. Well, our text for today is Mark. Uh, the We're going to finish up chapter one and move into chapter two. But before we do that, would you start our time together off in prayer, please, brother? The gracious Lord, we give you thanks for the blessings that you have given us. Lord, we thank you that even though we come to you clean and defiled, you make us clean. You make us worthy to come into your presence. You make us right with God. We thank you. We ask you to be with us. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Making us right with God. What a what a great way to begin because today's text really is talking about making people right. And toward the end, we're going to see the I guess the scandal of Christ's forgiveness. People could you can imagine people getting upset over Christ forgiving someone, but of course uh, they do in our text today, and we'll get to that. But Mark's gospel is such a rapid fire series of events from the life and work of Jesus that each chapter is just chock full of great stuff. Yesterday we covered well the first twenty episodes, twenty verses, pardon me, of chapter one. But even in those 20 verses, we're packed so many important events. And I just want to catch folks up. Mark began with a quote from Isaiah and Malachi, who foretold the coming of a messenger who would prepare the way for the Messiah. And then we met John the Baptist, a radical preacher who lived in the wilderness, and he came to fulfill that prophecy of the forerunner of Jesus. And his message? Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Well, then Jesus came along, and John baptized him in the Jordan River, and when he came out of the water, a voice from heaven said, You are my beloved Son. With you I am well pleased. Then Jesus was immediately whisked off to the wilderness by the Holy Spirit to be tempted by Satan, and then after spending 40 days being tempted in the wilderness, Jesus emerged victorious and began preaching in Galilee, saying things like, The time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is at hand. 
and just like John, repent and believe in the gospel. And then Jesus calls his first uh, disciples, Simon, who's Peter, Andrew, James, and John, to follow him. They left their nets by the sea and did that immediately. And so today we catch up with Jesus in Capernaum in the synagogue of that city on the Sabbath. I'm going to go ahead and read, brother, the first few verses just to uh, get the first event out of the way. Here we go. Chapter 1 of Mark, verse 21, beginning uh, from, sorry, the ESV. And they went into Capernaum. And immediately on the Sabbath, Jesus entered the synagogue and was teaching. And they were astonished at his teaching, for he taught them as one who had authority and not as the scribes. And immediately there was in their synagogue a man with an unclean spirit, and he cried out, What have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. But Jesus rebuked him, saying, Be silent and come out of him. And the unclean spirit, convulsing him and crying out with a loud voice, came out of him. And they were all amazed, so that they questioned among themselves, saying, What is this? A new teaching with authority. He commands even the unclean spirits, and they obey him. And at once his fame spread everywhere throughout all the surrounding region of Galilee. Well, that's uh, the end of verse 28. Brother, starting at verse 21, take us through this. What do we see Jesus doing here? What's going on? Well, that certainly wouldn't have been uh, a Sunday you wanted to miss. <laughs> you, <laughs> Absolutely you not. The later, and they say, well, what happened at church? And they say, you won't believe it. <laughs> uh, but yeah, and this, uh, this man shows up. And it says he has an unclean spirit, not an evil spirit, but an unclean spirit. Uh, and, you know, he going in, he probably, you know, I doubt that he looked any different than anybody else. Uh, it would be nice if, you know, people did, you know, sh you know reveal their inner struggles or, or whatever. But this guy mm -hmm. probably didn't look any different than anybody else. Uh, somehow this manifests itself during the service. The, serv uh, the demon is, you know, horrified to be at the presence of Jesus because he knows what this means. And this is, uh, you know, early in Mark, you know, you have this, you know, this great uh, confrontation between a demon, an unclean spirit, and Jesus, who has the, the Holy Spirit. Uh, this is going to continue uh, for a while. Now, I have to ask, brother, have you ever had anybody interrupt you while you were preaching? Anybody come in and just sort of start hollering or, or interrupt or disrupt the service or anything like that? Has that ever happened in your experience? That hasn't happened in mine. I, I think that has happened. You know, you can have protesters who show up mm -hmm. or somebody who, you know, is, you know, has some um, mental health issues perhaps or or something like that. But, uh, you know, mine, they don't jump up and shout normally they're you know snoozing but uh <laughs> oh no no i'm sure not i'm no, sure no, not no. well you know i i never had anybody interrupt any of mine either thank thankfully but i i did get an amen once but that was down in georgia so that that could be uh that could be we don't do that in this church no 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 well but, uh, we but you're right we though. don't praise the lord in this church <laughs> yeah you got to be careful we we smiled loudly sometimes <laughs> Yes, but yes. <laughs> but you bring up a good point, and that is that this guy's just until he makes himself known. This guy with the and you made a distinction here between unclean and evil. This guy with the unclean spirit, 
he uh, he was apparently just sitting there until he yells out, right? He says, what have you to do with us? Now, a lot of people yeah. kind of can't get their mind around the synagogal type of worship because it's it really is so different than the way we do it. Uh, synagogues in and of themselves became really important for worship and study for the Jews during the Babylonian exile. So by this time, they've been around for, gosh, 600 years, and they continue to function as community centers in Judea under Roman rule in the first century, and that's what's going on now. And synagogues were led by elders of the community. They didn't necessarily had like they didn't really have like a a pastor or like a main rabbi. I mean, there would be some who had different levels of a, of authority and position and responsibility, but really most of the teaching was done by invited guests. And so they would invite traveling rabbis like Jesus. They would invite people like Paul to teach at the synagogue. So Jesus is an invited guest, undoubtedly because they'd heard all the all the well things that he'd been teaching. I, I imagine you say you don't want to miss this one, but I imagine it was probably pretty packed. I bet Jesus's reputation preceded him. Capernaum is not a very large community. We visited Israel several years ago, and it's uh, just a seaside community. Uh, but we did see uh, the, uh, the the synagogue, uh, and this. Uh, the, the synagogue that they have was built after Jesus' resurrection, and it is far larger than what that community would require. Hmm. And so that is a witness that people knew that something had happened to somebody from Capernaum to Jesus, and they wanted that this was a special place, and they wanted to worship at this synagogue after Jesus' resurrection. There, you could also see the, the foundation perhaps of the synagogue that uh, Jesus might have been that morning. Wow. I'm looking, I, first of all, I'm very envious that you've been able to do that. I, I'm looking online at the pictures. That's as close as I'll probably get for a while. But it, yeah, it is amazing because you're right. That there's this really large structure and the foundation of which, man, if that was where Jesus is, you know, it, it, you know, these places, they of course hold no real special importance except what happened there. But it's always very neat to be able to say that you seen or walked where Jesus walked. And um, yeah, you're right. So you could you could look it up now, folks, if you really want to just search for the Capernaum uh, synagogue and uh, you'll find all kinds of pictures of that. Yeah. And so Jesus is invited to be there. He's 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 preaching or te as we might say, he's teaching there. And, and just suddenly, what have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. Jesus, who is the Holy One of God, right? He, he, the, the demon or the, the unclean spirit is true. He's, he's speaking the truth. Um, but Jesus says, be silent, come out of him. Why does Jesus often silence those who tell the truth about him, even, even from, from something like an unclean spirit? Why is he silencing them? Doesn't he want everybody to know? I think it's kind of humorous in the in the Greek, from what I understand, uh, the word that he uses for silence is be muzzled, uh, like you would put a muzzle on a puppy. And that's the, the type of control he has, you know, just be muzzled. And he does this, I don't know if this is the same word that he uses when he's on the, on the ocean, on the Sea of Galilee, and it's really rocky and he's asleep and uh, the disciples wake him up. Don't you care that we're about to drown? And he, he says, peace, be still, peace, be muzzled. And immediately it is, it is still. Uh, he, you know, 
early in his ministry, before he goes to Jerusalem, he doesn't want people to tell who he is. Right. Uh, and because they don't know the whole story. I think they don't know the whole story. They, they're looking for something else. Now, uh, the, if somebody, a demon, somebody with a demon is going to, or an unclean spirit, uh, is going to tell who Jesus is, you're not going to get the whole story. Uh, you're probably going to get a lot of law. You're going to get a lot mm. that, you know, he is perfect and you were not and you were doomed uh, and, uh, and stuff like that. So you're not going to get the whole story. But he didn't want people to tell who he was. I think because uh, they did, he had not uh, told them uh, or revealed exactly what type of Messiah he was going to be. Well, you're just describing most of the sermons I heard <laughs> growing up, <laughs> telling you just look how perfect Jesus is. And <laughs> look what you look what you did to him. Um, you know, fimao, fimao is the word you're talking about. Be muzzled, be still. And I, I did check it, and you're absolutely right. It's the same word that Mark has him using when he calms the storm. Jesus's ability to calm the the sea, to calm storms, to calm <laughs> unclean spirits, it, it 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 of course demonstrates his divinity. And I think that's another reason why Jesus might be a little cautious because he he's not going to allow someone else to co-opt what he wants to do. He's going to reveal himself on his own terms when the time was right. I think if he was there just for popularity or if he was there to start a political insurrection just like many thought the Messiah would, then he would, as any good politician, would take any chance he could get to get that word out. But yeah, Jesus acts contrary to that because... Well, he has a plan. He has a plan. Now, we've danced around a little bit the idea of the unclean spirit versus a uh, like a demonic force. Do you make a distinction between the two, or is it just the way that he's talking about it? Well, Mark, I looked in uh, in Luke has uh, a a similar account, and he also uses. Well, I think he uses uh, the spirit of an unclean or spirit of an unclean demon or something like that, something along that line. I don't think he says unclean spirit. Um, and this comes after Jesus' baptism where he's been washed and unclean is unwashed. Uh, and so perhaps this is, uh, you know, being able to come into God's presence uh, as opposed to not being able to come into God's presence uh, between being clean and unclean today, uh, you know, you can. What can you do with unclean? People can feel unclean. They can feel shame. They can feel dirty. Uh, but this is a, you know, perhaps a great gospel moment that in in Jesus we can feel clean. We can be forgiven. We can feel uh, right with God. Well, and he he. What's interesting is not only does he rebuke him, not only does he muzzle him, he actually frees the man who is being afflicted by him. He says, be silent, yeah. but then he says, come out of him. And the unclean yeah. spirit convulsing and crying out with a loud voice came out. So even this situation, even though he's telling him to be silent, it's still a witness to what's going on, right? Because they all were amazed and they questioned themselves and they said, what is this? A new teaching with authority. I guess it might be a good idea to remind the folks at home kind of what that means. Um, you know, Jesus certainly has the authority here and demonstrates it to command unclean spirits, and that's amazing. 
But even in the way he teaches is surprising to people because he doesn't do it like they're rabbis. You know, if I, you know, when I'm doing something, uh, you know, I'll go back uh, to the large catechism. Uh, I'll go back to Luther said this. Uh, I'll say, you know, this is what, you know, scholars believe. Uh, I, I don't really, I don't really have anything uh, new. Uh, there's uh, people who are a lot smarter than I have am and have spent their life uh, studying this. This is what they say. Uh, if I come up with something new, uh, then that is probably a, a good opportunity to uh, call the district office. Uh, <laughs> but Jesus right. comes and, and he doesn't say, no, this is what uh, the, the, if he does, he says, this is what the forefather says, but I say to you, mm-hmm. <laughs> and his is going back to the original intent of what God, God was. And over the years, you know, people had gone off the track and Jesus goes back to the beginning. This is what God, this, I, I say to you, this is, mm-hmm. this is what God originally intended. Yeah, Jesus is speaking upon his own authority as opposed to saying like, you know, well, as I Rabbi see. Shlomo taught, you know, or even, <laughs> even as Moses taught, um, you know, he says, I say to you. Yeah, and it, so it's amazing. So when people today who are critical of the Bible and are always looking to be critical of Jesus, they like to try to claim that, well, he never equated himself with God or he never said he was God, which is certainly untrue, really on its face. But despite the times that he's not, you know, sometimes he says flat out, I and the Father am one and stuff like that. But even here, he's demonstrating that he's God because he's being bold to teach upon his own authority. And clearly, because he has the ability to command unclean spirits, well, people take notice. And so this section ends with, at once his fame spread everywhere throughout all the surrounding region of Galilee. Anything else you want to cover before we move into our next topic? I'd be an attention getter. I always, uh, th- I always compare this with uh, in chapter five, where he goes to the country of the Gerasenes and he is confronted with the man with the unclean spirit. That's always been one of my uh, favorite stories. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you have much of the same thing. The spirit says, "What have you to do with me? Uh, do not torment me. Have you come to?" Uh, and that's a legion. He had a lot of unclean spirits. That raises a good point, too, about what do the demons know about Jesus? You know, we, I think, is it, um, hmm, is it Timothy? Is it Timothy who talks about um, how how uh, even the demons believe? I can't remember where that actually is off the top of my head. Yeah, but shudder. <laughs> yeah, the demons know Jesus. So even those out there who are saying, well, oh, yeah, no, I, yeah, I guess I believe Jesus is probably God, or yeah, I believe in Jesus, but but they don't really live in a way that suggests that they treat him as their Lord. You know, it's the same thing. The demons know exactly who he is, and they certainly aren't within the sphere of salvation because even though they know who he is, they, unlike people, are confirmed in their condemnation. But God desires all people to come to the knowledge of the truth. So unlike people, the demons, the which really just are fallen angels, it's only one creature, the angels, um, they, they don't really have a second chance. They know that the end is coming. They know Jesus is going to bring it, even despite Satan's vain attempts to destroy him. 
he even knows that his time is running out. And so I think that's what we see here. So when we move into verse 29, it says, And immediately he left the synagogue and entered the house of Simon and Andrew with James and John. Now Simon's mother-in-law lay ill with a fever, and immediately they told him about her. And he came and took her by the hand and lifted her up, and the fever left her, and she began to serve them. That evening at sundown they brought to him all who were sick or oppressed by demons, and the whole city was gathered together at the door. And he healed many who were sick with various diseases and cast out many demons. And he would not permit the demons to speak because they knew him. All right, stopping there at the end of 34. So one of Mark's favorite words here, immediately, and immediately he left the synagogue and he entered the house of Simon, who we know is Peter, and Andrew and James and John are there too. And so Peter's mother-in-law lay ill with a fever. Uh, interesting that we have here Peter, and we don't know much about his wife, but we know he's married because one must be married to have a mother-in-law. Um, you know, it makes me wonder about the relationship status of some of the other disciples. I mean, you know, today I think most most pastors who are married uh, see it as a great benefit to their ministry, but there's also, of course, times when being single might be a good idea. Our friends in the Roman Catholic Church, uh, you know, a few hundred years ago, or uh, well, uh, quite a while ago, decided that their priests should not be married to dedicate themselves to the church and for some other reasons. Um, but here we have Peter, he's married. It's just an interesting dynamic, but that's not the focus of the text. But I think sometimes people are surprised to hear that Peter was married. And Paul says, you know, Paul says he was single uh, during his ministry, but he said that uh, Peter was allowed to bring his wife along. Uh, so, yeah, they, uh, I mean, they had, uh, they had families, they had, uh, they had relationships. I think sometimes we, we take them out of their context. You know, we, we have them, they're the, the icons, they're covered in gold, but sometimes, as I like to say, you have to shake the gold off the icon and realize that these are just <laughs> regular people that God chose to do his will, really no different than you and me. Um, but in any case, Simon's mother-in-law is sick, and so immediately, as Mark is wont to say, they, they told Jesus about her, and what does he do? He comes, he takes her by the hand, he lifts her up, and she's better. And I love her response. She, and this reminds me of my grandmother, I just have to say, she gets to work. <laughs> she, she's like, oh, good, I'm, I'm healed. And we don't have a lot of narrative about her saying, oh, Jesus, thank you so much for the healing, or anybody being amazed. It really just kind of goes to, Oh, good, I'm healed. Now, what do you boys want to eat? You know, I just, I don't know. I love it. <laughs> I, I have enjoyed uh, this program called The Chosen. And, you know, it, it does things. Uh, you know, it's, oh, sure. You know, you can, it's something to talk about, certainly. It's, but they, they show this, uh, they depict this. And, you know, the, the, the fever uh, that she has, a fever is a, you know, a, a serious thing. With the healthcare that we have today, we might have been able to get something from the drugstore for nothing and heal her right away. But there she is suffering, and there's, uh, and, and this is a, a real crisis uh, in their family. And the house uh, is right next, very, very close to the synagogue there in Capernaum. Uh, and they believe they have the, the house, the remains there. They have this big, fancy church that has a curbed. Uh, 
curved floor and you can look through uh, the floor and, and see into the house, but it's not a very big house. Wow. So if somebody's laying there, you would have seen it immediately. You would have seen her laying there immediately. And Jesus so it's not that she's like up in the bedroom somewhere. It's not like she's hiding out, being kind of sick. She's kind of laying right there. People are having to step over her. I mean, a little facetious, but maybe not. I mean, yeah, it's really small absolutely. place. It's a it's a tragedy, and it's a, this is a, a bad a bad thing, and it's a, a crisis for for this family. Well, he Jesus comes in with healing, which of course points to the same thing he does to the person with the unclean spirit. He has control over these things. Demonic possession, uh, sickness, illness, all of these things are related to the same fall that you know mankind experienced in Eden when we rebelled against God. And so Jesus is demonstrating in all of these things that he has come to undo those things. But what's interesting is verse 32, at evening, where your sundown comes around, and now everybody's at the door. Anybody who was sick, anybody who's oppressed by demons, they've heard about these things. Mark describes it as the whole city was gathered together at the door, and Jesus did what Jesus does. In his compassion, he heals many who are sick with various diseases. He casts out the demons, and of course, he doesn't let the demons talk. But that seems to be a pretty accurate reflection of, I think, what would happen today. If someone heard there was a, a faith healer down the road and he was actually able to heal people, then people would clamor around him. In fact, many charlatans get plenty of good-sized audiences from claiming to do those things. Jesus really could have made him name for himself just setting up shop right there outside of Simon uh, Simon mother-in-law's house and uh, and just healing people for a living. But, of course, that's not his mission, but that tends to be what the people wanted from him, something in the here and now. That's what people think they want. If only I had this, if only uh, I was healed of this fever, if only I was healed of this sickness, if only, uh, if only this, then I would be happy. And we'll see this later when we have the, the man who is paralyzed. Uh, but I've always, you know, if I had uh, the gift of healing, uh, I would not go rent the, you know, T-Mobile Center at Kansas City and, you know, uh, advertise a campaign to, you know, heal people in a month. I would work my way around the room where I was. I would work my way down to the nursing home and up to the hospital. Somebody would be driving and I would touch everybody that I could immediately. And I would go to the Children's Mercy hospital in Kansas City or Wichita, and I would touch every person I could until my hand wore off to the wrist. I wish I wish that I had that gift, but I do not. Oh, me too, brother. You know, so many people are hurting so badly, and, and that's a lot of the—I mean, that's the way in which God often brings people to himself. I mean, we don't want anyone to have to hit rock bottom, so to speak, before they turn to Christ, but— how often does Jesus use these physical ailments to redirect their attention away from this world to what's more important? And of course, that's often uh, toward him. Well, I'll tell you what, why don't we pause in our conversation while we take just a few minutes for these messages. Folks, don't go anywhere. Pastor Brown and I will keep on going with Mark 1 when we return. See you on the other side.
These are the voices of young Lutherans in Mexico City, children who are excited to learn more about their Savior, Jesus. But they need our help because good Lutheran books for kids in the Spanish language are in short supply in Mexico. To learn how you can help tell Spanish-speaking kids everywhere about Jesus in a language they can understand, go to the Lutheran Heritage Foundation website at lhfmissions.org forward slash Juan 316. Welcome back to Thy Strong Word. I'm your host, Pastor Phil Boo, and with me this morning is the Reverend Luke Brown, pastor of Emmanuel Lutheran Church in Ellsworth, Kansas. Folks at home, thanks so much for taking the time to be with us in God's Word this morning. Remember, if you have questions or comments about today's show, or you want to send a message to my guest, you can reach out to me via email at pastorboo at gmail.com. You can also find me on Facebook. Just search for Phil Boo. We're live, so if you send me a message right away or send me a message through Facebook, we might be able to get your question right on the air. Now, you can also drop a note to say hi if you want. You don't have to ask a question, but however you reach out, be sure to let me know where you're listening from and how you connect to the show, whether it's over the air, on a podcast, online at KFUO.org, or using the KFUO radio app. Well, back to the text. Before the break, brother, we were just talking about how the whole town had gathered around Jesus in order to have, well, their diseases healed. They're the people who were afflicted by demons. Uh, one thing that occurred to me during the break as I was just pondering what we were talking about, uh, a lot of people have demons, it seems, right? We don't, we don't really think of that a lot today. Verse 34 says, he healed many who were sick with various diseases and cast out many demons. Have you ever thought about the discrepancy there between the number of demons that were really active around the time of Jesus and maybe why we don't see that as much today? Do you, have you thought about that? Well, yeah, I, I, as a matter of fact, yeah, because, you know, you do teach confirmation and kids love demons. But, uh, uh, you know, <laughs> that's a good I, quote I, for the show. Kids love demons right here. No, yeah, but no go demons, ahead. I, I think we're. I think we might have some. Well, that's another, well, I, <laughs> another comment. <laughs> I do know what you're but, saying, though. People, are, they're fascinated <laughs> by demons and ghosts and that sort of thing. I, I think Satan was throwing out all the stops. And, and so, you know, he was there. Were, there were demons. But also, you know, today, uh, you know, the demon is uh, the purpose of Satan is to separate us from Jesus, to remove us from Jesus. And so what does he use today? Uh, you know, for the, especially for the guy at the at the Gerasenes, he's possessed by legion, a legion of demons, uh, and um, he is you know possessed by Satan. He's taking actions that are 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 not in his best interest. He's cutting himself. He's uh, and so today, what does Satan use uh, to remove us from from uh, to keep, try to keep us uh, from Jesus? I think he does. I don't know that he uses demons, but he uses. Uh, other things that are just as effective to keep people I think from Jesus. You're absolutely right. I, I believe that uh, demonic possession, as we see it a lot in the New Testament, just probably wouldn't be very effective today, or as effective, I should say. N not in the same sense. I, I do believe in demonic possession. I believe it continues to happen today. But it tends to happen in those places that aren't as cynical as our society. I, I think demons have a lot easier time today uh, driving people away from Jesus than perhaps they even did back then. 
because if Jesus is going around healing people, uh, you know, the the one thing the demons are going to want to do is make sure people do not hear about that, or at the very least, put their doubt in it. I think of the Pharisees who says that Jesus cast out demons by the power of demons. They admitted that Jesus had that power, but they tried to disparage and defame him by saying he's just he's just evil himself. Well, let's keep on going in our text. Here we go. So rising very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus departed and went out to a desolate place, and there he prayed. And Simon and those who were with him searched for him, and they found him, and they said to him, Everyone is looking for you. And Jesus said to them, Let's go on to the next towns, that I may preach there also, for that is why I came out. And he went throughout all of Galilee, preaching in their synagogues and casting out demons. So here we have Jesus, and all the town is gathered around, and he's healed all night. He's, ex- he's shown compassion to the people, but he's also, just as he's 100% God, he's 100% man, he's tired. He goes out, he prays into this desolate place, and, well, Peter searches him out, and he says, Jesus, everybody's looking for you. Jesus knew that there would never be an end to all the people who would come for his healing. But it kind of looks a little callous when he says, nope, let's just go on to the next town, as if he's leaving behind all these people who need healing. Um, It's just sort of an interesting response by Jesus, and it reminds us that he didn't come to earth just to heal our diseases. That's not his primary purpose. There's much to say about this, because uh, if everybody's coming to you, the disciples think, stay here, and let's build a nice uh, nice worship facility, and we'll schedule times for people to meet with you, and they can, you know, they can meet your secretary, and maybe we can have some staff, and we'll build a house over here, and a house over here, and we'll, you know, things are really looking up, uh, and that's what the disciples uh, probably thought he should do, and that's what I think I would have done. Uh, things are looking up. Stay right here. Let the people come to him. Uh, but and, and but Jesus doesn't do what they think he should do. Uh, everybody's coming to him, and so he leaves. Uh, but I also think this is a great gospel moment. You know, we, we're coming up on Advent here in a few weeks, and uh, you know, Jesus comes to you. You know, for people who may find themselves, may feel like they're in a desolate place, Jesus comes to you. He searches for you. And I, that'd be a great gospel uh, thing, a great gospel reminder. Uh, I was active in the ministry for the rural and small town uh, ministry uh, for several years, and, and they used a portion of this, a translation, I must go to the small towns, not to the next towns, but to the small towns. And so Jesus is concerned not only with the cities, but he's also concerned with small towns. And many times people in small towns and desolate places uh, can feel, you know, kind of inferior, kind of feel like they're, uh, they're, not, uh, they're not important, but they are important to Jesus, just as important as the cities. And Jesus spends time praying. He spends hours. He goes out when it's dark, and Simon finds him later in the morning. It could have been a period of hours. Jesus spends time in prayer. So there, this is a really a, a neat few sentences 
Mm. You make an excellent point about how, you know, Jesus goes to where people are. And not to mention there are probably, not probably, there are many people in this area who couldn't make it to him if they wanted to. Transportation is not the same. And of course, Jesus's larger mission is to spread that good news to all people. But still, we have more healing coming up in Mark. Let's move on to verse 40. And a leper came to him, imploring him, and kneeling said to him, If you will, you can make me clean. Moved with pity, he stretched out his hand and touched him and said to him, I will be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him, and he was made clean. And Jesus sternly charged him and sent him away at once and said to him, See that you say nothing to anyone, but go, show yourself to the priest, and offer for your cleansing what Moses commanded for a proof to them. But he went out and began to talk freely about it and to spread the news so that Jesus could no longer openly enter a town, but was out in desolate places, and people were coming to him from every quarter. So we wonder, like, why does Jesus want them to be silent about this? And we know it's because he has his own good timing, but here's perfect example of why Jesus didn't want everybody to know right away. Now he can't even enter the towns because he draws such a crowd. It's like a celebrity. He can't move freely about them. But still, we have this imagery of the leper coming to him, and he really demonstrates great faith, not can you make me clean, um, and not even will you make me clean, just an acknowledgement that if it is his will, he could make him clean. And Jesus is moved with pity. Uh, take us through this. In Leviticus, one of the things the priest was supposed to do was to inspect people's, uh, you know, diseases, skin, wounds, and stuff, and see if it uh, was leprous. And, and and so I'm 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 so happy that that is not something that is carried on today, where we don't have people coming to us and saying, <laughs> "Pastor, does this look infected?" I uh, don't wouldn't care for that. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Pastor Brown, but, right? Uh, I need you. I need you to look at this on my. I'm gonna pull down my. No, no, you wouldn't want that. No. Oh Lord, <laughs> thank you so much. <laughs> but but at this. the you know, but at I, the same I, time, is, yeah. Go ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead. Yeah, leprosy is is unclean. Uh, it is un, uncurable. And you know you're you're separated from the community. You have to live off by yourself, and you have to hold up a sign uh, that says "unclean, unclean," much as if you had didn't have the COVID shot. Unclean, unclean, <laughs> and uh, <laughs> and so you are you're an outcast. You're unhuman. Uh, and Jesus takes his uncleanness onto himself, and he gives himself his cleanness, and he you know, sends him to the priests, uh, which is a way to restore him. To the community, uh, God is all about community. God is uh, all about. He, he never talks about a, a. He always talks about tribes and families and and congregations. Uh, and but I always think it's funny. You know, don't tell anybody. But here's a guy who had leprosy. One day you have leprosy, right? And the next day you don't have leprosy. But don't tell anybody. Well, anybody who looks at you, your family, everybody is going to say, "Well, what's the deal? What happened to this leprosy?" You will, it will, he will have to tell people. So it's a. Uh, it is. It's an impossible priest. command. 
It's, yeah. it's an impossible <laughs> command. But but go to the priest because not, I mean, really, it doesn't even necessarily say go offer up because I'm going to, you know, you have to keep this law. Of course, I think that's built in. Christ is coming to fulfill these laws, but he certainly acknowledges that these are from Yahweh and through Moses. But he has that little clause there that says, the main reason you're doing this is for a proof to them. So while he doesn't necessarily want him going around blabbing to everybody, even though he will, he really wants them to go to the priest and say, look, I'm clean. And of course, they're going to say, how did this happen? You know, only God can heal leprosy. And he goes to the priest. He's healed from leprosy. That should be a witness to the priest uh, that should tell him something about Jesus. Only God can heal leprosy. Jesus healed this man from leprosy. Therefore, Jesus must be somebody worth knowing more about. It makes you wonder, too. Now, leprosy, or what we call today Hansen's disease, um, it's a long-term bacterial infection. Is I, I don't want to say it's all it is because it's a devastating disease, but that's kind of all it is. And at that time, there was absolutely no cure. Today, you can be treated with um, special antibiotics at special centers, and you can be healed of it. You're never going to be healed of the scarring and the disfigurement that often comes from leprosy. Now, we don't know, and I don't expect you to know, but I'm just thinking out loud. I wonder if when he healed this man, it also healed his physical, you know, for lack of a better word, deformities or whether um, those remained. I, I, I guess they would. it would have to be that they were healed because otherwise he wouldn't have anything to show. Isn't that right? Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. That would have been, that would have been interesting. Yeah. Just thinking out loud. But in any case, he goes and – go ahead. I, I, I think about uh, in, in Daniel, uh, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and, uh, and they're being ready to be thrown into the, what, into the, the furnace. And, uh, and they say, well, God can save us. Uh, now, he may save us. He may not save us. But even if he does not save us, we will worship him. And, and this guy says, you can heal me. I believe that you can heal me. Uh, I don't know if you will or not, but I believe that you can heal me. Uh, and so yeah, that's, that's a, something that I kind of took me back to that. Yeah, that no, that's actually a great connection because, you know, it, it begs the question, or I should say raises the question, if Jesus would say, well, I don't will, would he yeah. continue to follow Jesus? And I, I believe, and of course we don't know, and it didn't happen, so it really is irrelevant, but I, I think that if you will is indicative of he does believe in Jesus regardless of what happens next. And, and I think that's an yeah. attitude that we should go to God with, and we do when we pray, thy will be done. God wants us to make our needs known to him, even though he already knows them. But he also wants us to pray that thy will be done so that when or if— God decides not to alleviate our physical ailment or whatever we're asking for, that we don't lose faith. We just recognize that, well, God has plans that are in ways that are beyond our understanding. It was interesting. My wife uh, had cancer, and so we you know, battled uh, through that, and, and she was uh, here just a few months ago. She was released, and, and uh, she doesn't have to go back, and, and so we are you know, just enormously thankful. Uh, but, you know, we mm -hmm. tell people that and they'd say, God is good. And I'd say, 
Well, yeah, God <laughs> is good. He is good no matter what the outcome is. If she would have gotten a different report, God is still good. <laughs> That's not the issue. I'm, I'm thankful. But, uh, uh, but, yeah, the nature of God's goodness is not, is not the case if uh, God is good no matter what. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. I mean, of course, we are very grateful that Carrie Lynn has been able to fight and beat that. But at the same time, that thy will be done is such a it, – it, it requires so much faith, I think, to pray that. It's not just something you can just sort of say. It's something you really must believe because I know because of your strong faith and Carrie Lynn's strong faith that if God had decided other, otherwise, it wouldn't have put you off from praying. From honoring and praying and 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 blessing his name. But I am glad that she's doing better. Why don't we move on then to the next section? Because uh we have one more uh chunk to go, so to speak, and this is going to be into chapter two. I'm gonna read twelve verses of chapter two, and that'll be the text for today. And when Jesus returned to Capernaum after some days, it was reported that he was at home. And many were gathered together so that there was no more room, not even at the door. And he was preaching the word to them. And they came, bringing to him a paralytic carried by four men. And when they could not get near him because of the crowd, they removed the roof above him. And when they had made an opening, they let down the bed upon which the paralytic lay. And when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven. Now, some of the scribes were sitting there questioning in their hearts, Why does this man speak like that? He is blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? And immediately Jesus, perceiving in his spirit that they thus questioned within themselves, said to them, Why do you question these things in your hearts? Which is easier to say to the paralytic, Your sins are forgiven? Or to say, Rise and take up your bed and walk? But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, he said to the paralytic, I say to you, Rise, pick up your bed and go home. And he rose and immediately picked up his bed and went out before them all so that they were all amazed and glorified God, saying, we've never seen anything like this. Well, that's the end of our text for this morning. So, yeah, Jesus heads back to Capernaum, and it says he was at home. Uh, where do you figure that was? Peter's house, maybe? Probably Peter's house. Yeah, that's what I would expect. Yeah, and this is a pretty famous Sunday school passage, right? The bringing, lifting the guy up on the roof and then dropping him down through the thatch roof, you know, and we always get to explain that to the kids. But what I think is really amazing and stands out about this passage isn't necessarily them tearing a hole in the roof, which is very dramatic. But when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic. So before he saw the faith of the, say, the leper who wanted to be healed, here he sees the faith of those who are bringing him, bringing this man to him. I, I think that stands out as something to think about. Yeah, I think so too. Always, you know, what were they looking for? They were looking for this man to be healed of his paralysis. Uh, and Jesus doesn't do what they expect. He says, son, your sins are forgiven. And so I wonder, you know, what they, he thought, and, and they thought, well, thank you, but that's not what we're looking for. <laughs> we're, we're looking uh, for this uh, paralysis to be healed. 
But Jesus knows uh, what his real issue is. And, uh, and, you know, once again, people say, you know, if only I had this, I would be happy. If only I were healed of this, if only I had this job, if only I had, uh, if only I were uh, married to this person, if only I had this success in my occupation, if only I had this, I would be happy. Uh, but Jesus knows that even if he heals this man without forgiving his sins, you know, he won't be happy. Something else will happen. Uh, even if you have this position, uh, I say, if I have, uh, if I have this uh, success, then I'll be happy. But you won't be happy because you always want more. Uh, but Jesus says true happiness, true contentment, true satisfaction uh, is from having your sins forgiven and knowing that you are right with God, that you're on the same page as God, that God is pleased with you. So God, Jesus knows what the man's real problem is. Uh, the man thinks he has a problem, but Jesus knows what the real issue is. And so he heals, he deals with the real issue first. Well, and it's it's a case of very audacious absolution because a couple of things. Well, the the scribes who see this happening are <laughs> incensed. Yeah. First of all, Pharisees and scribes and the Sadducees and even the Herodians, I mean, they've never really seen a – they kind of – okay, I won't say that. But they, they kind of remind me of some folks I know where, you know, you just never pass up a chance to complain about what's going on. And uh, uh, I have to say that I think people of our ilk sometimes are in that boat, brother. But <laughs> I know yeah. that I catch yeah. myself yeah. too. Uh, you know, ignoring the amazing thing that's going on to complain about the way it's happening. Uh, but in yeah. any case, that's what's going on here. They see Jesus heal this guy, and instead of saying, like with the rest of the people, wow, this is amazing, we've never seen anything like this, they complain within their hearts, wow, only God can forgive sins. Well, the obvious yeah. is, well, then that must mean this guy is God. But instead they say, no, he's blasphemous, even though... He says, all right, so you know that the Son of Man, again, a messianic term he's applying to himself, so that you know that the Son of Man has authority to forgive sins. Then he says, get up, pick up your bed, and go home. So he even uses their words just to show them that, listen, it's not about the words. It's about who I am and what I've come to do. Uh, he points them to himself. And you got to love it. You got to love it. You can only forgive, you know, only God can forgive sins. You can only uh, repay a debt if you have, if the debt is due you or you're going to pay the price for that debt. Uh, you can only forgive a wrong if it is done to you. If somebody socks you in the nose and I'm the third person, I can, it, you know, if I say I forgive you uh, for socking Pastor Phil in the nose, uh, well, that's not right. You have to forgive him for that. Yeah, in That's the legal world, are, we, are so... we call that standing. You have to have standing. You have to be the one that has some sort of offense done to you in order to have any kind of standing to take action. And and that's it. That's exactly it. God is the one, ultimately, whom all of our sins are against. God allows uh, the, the consequences of sin and death to reign in the world, which includes illness, but he also has power over those things. You know, uh, one I know some very well-meaning Christians uh, who are not of the Lutheran persuasion, 
who upon hearing that we at the beginning of our divine services will say in the stead and by the command of our Lord Jesus Christ, I forgive you your sins. That might be a cause for them to step up and walk out of the service. You know, I no one can sure. forgive sins but God alone. They'll even quote the the scribes here as if the scribes are reliable people to quote. But in any case, um, what do we say to those people? You know, what do we say about the, the role of their pastor who's up there forgiving sins in this first person to second person language? I forgive you, but 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 how, how do we explain that to people that we're not being blasphemous? But instead and by the command of my Lord Jesus Christ, <laughs> I forgive you all your stand, uh, all your sins. Yeah. I, I got nothing. I can't forgive you nothing. But right. In the right. stead and by the command of our Lord Jesus Christ, He has forgiven you. Uh, it's just, it's just like know, the Lord's I, table. You know, we're just stewards of what He's given us to do, and that includes administering the sacraments rightly, preaching the word rightly, and even forgiving sins. But you're so right, brother. It's, it's not us. It's God. And early in my career, uh, I was uh, serving at the, I was a lay minister, and I was serving at the my home church. And I really had to, to deal with this myself because uh, I'd lived in that town uh, for you know, a number of years. And uh, my, uh, my imperfections were you know, very well known. And if I stand up there and I'm trying to pretend that I'm something special, uh, they're going to laugh me out of the church. And I, I'd, be, I'd be right there with them. And so I had to understand that you know, I'm not doing this. I am very much in the stead and by the command as his servant he has done it i'm just i'm announcing it to you i'm giving it to you it doesn't belong to me it's his forgiveness not mine absolutely that's that's all we can do we're just up there pointing to jesus and you know it, what is easier to say jesus forgives your sins or i forgive your sins well with the office of the keys we use that other language because it's important that you hear those words but again you know, we are speaking them on behalf of God and by his command. Well, uh, here we are at the end of our program. A anything else you want to cover? Oh, yeah, go ahead. I'm sorry. I, You know, Jesus says, what is easier to say your sins are forgiven uh, or to say get up your mat and walk? And uh, but I think Jesus is saying the forgiveness of sins is harder uh, than you can ever begin to imagine. Uh, Jesus is a savior. Uh, what he is going to do uh, to forgive those sins is more than we can ever uh, we can ever imagine. As he goes to the cross uh, for that man and and for us, I think those are beautiful words, and it's so true. I mean, we think of forgiveness as being cheap, cheap grace, but we know that that's not the case. Our Lord and Savior Jesus, God Himself, died to forgive us of our sins. Because of his justice, you know, sins must be atoned for. Well, that's where we're going to have to leave it, folks. Uh, but I'd like to thank my guest this morning, one of my favorite people I know from seminary, the Reverend Luke Brown. He's the pastor of Emmanuel Lutheran Church in Ellsworth, Kansas. And we're so close, we're going to have to get together sometime, brother. You bet. All right. Well, thanks for being on the show. Folks, tomorrow when we get together, we're going to move right along, and Jesus is going to call the tax collector named Levi. We know him as Matthew, too. And Levi hosts a dinner for Jesus with many other sinners. And when questioned by the Pharisees for associating with such people, Jesus declares that he has not come for the sick. I'm sorry, he has come for the sick, not the righteous. 
Of course, then he's then questioned for allowing his disciples to pluck grain on the Sabbath, and Jesus responds by declaring himself the Lord of the Sabbath. And then, of course, Jesus heals a man's withered hand, but the Pharisees are there to accuse him of unlawful action. They're angered by Jesus for his disregard of tradition, but really they're more threatened by Jesus because they want to cling to power. So they begin plotting with the Herodians on how they might destroy him. We're going to talk about all that and more tomorrow. So until then, may God's peace and blessings be with you all as we pray, Father, keep us in thy strong word.